This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Big show today. Lavelli Neal III, columnist for the Star Tribune, will join me here in just a minute to talk about John Gruden and his resignation with the Raiders and what it largely means in the bigger context of the NFL. And a good discussion with Lavelle on that. Good column by Lavelle in today's paper and on StarTribune.com, so please Go check that out. Also be joined by Marcus Fuller. We haven't had Gopher Hoops talk for a long time. Marcus covers the men's basketball team for the Star Tribune, but also was at media day for both the men and the women uh, late last week. So kind of a lay of the land. Where are the Gophers at? What are the expectations for this season? Got to admit, for me, they are not very high, and I think that stands uh, for the rest of college basketball, given that they were 14th out of 14 in the Big Ten preseason poll. But, you know, that's why they play the games. We'll see. We'll see what Ben Johnson has cooked up in year one as he tries to build this program out going forward. And I'll get a little hockey talk at the end as we get ready for the start of the wild season as well. But first, what did I miss? I know I've focused on the NBA and vaccines a little bit here. Talked about Andrew Wiggins the other day. Uh, mentioned Kyrie Irving the other day. Got to mention Kyrie Irving one more time because a story in The Athletic kind of set me off a little bit. Um, so Kyrie Irving is not vaccinated, isn't going to get vaccinated, and until he gets vaccinated, cannot play for the Nets. And the Nets have said he won't play home or away games. They're just not going to deal with the logistics of whatever it would take to, to have him play on the road. There's a health ordinance that says he can't play at home if he's not vaccinated. So story in The Athletic comes out. Anonymous sources saying that he's not that the Kyrie Irving is not anti-vaccine. That his stance, this is straight from the story, his stance is that he's upset that people are losing their jobs due to vaccine mandates, which have been around for a little while now. weren't around in April, May, June, July, really, when Kyrie Irving could have gotten vaccinated. But there's you know, there, there's flaw one in, in Kyrie's logic and in the story. Um, it's, he says it's a stance he's explained to teammates. It's a grander fight than the one on the court, and Irving is challenging a perceived control of society and people's livelihood, according to sources with knowledge of Irving's mindset. Okay, maybe, maybe Kyrie should say that, and especially Kyrie should say this, if this is what he really thinks. Quote, Kyrie wants to be a voice for the voiceless, one source said. Are you kidding me? A voice for the voiceless, says an anonymous source. If you want to be a voice for the voiceless, be a voice for the voiceless. Go on record with this. Put your name on it. Don't let someone else carry your water on something like this. Even if it's a flawed, super amazingly flawed line of reasoning, even if you're completely wrong about it, if that's what you believe, Put your voice to it. Do not let there be a situation where there is a quote that says Kyrie wants to be a voice for the voiceless that is uttered by an anonymous source. That is utterly ridiculous. Kyrie Irving, in this case, is utterly ridiculous in so many ways, and I'm very interested to see how this whole thing plays out. Since I was a kid, my grandpa, Jim Warner, taught us to treat our customers like family. And to thank you for 67 years, Warner Stellion is offering unbeatable appliance savings. Go to warnerstellion.com to get your $50 coupon you won't find anywhere else. Lavelle Enil III, columnist at the Star Tribune, joins Daily Delivery Now. Lavelle has a column 
on StarTribune.com and in Wednesday's newspaper on John Gruden, the NFL, that situation with the Raiders, him resigning Monday night, right in the middle of Monday Night Football, ironically, because he used to work at ESPN, work on the on that on that show. Um, Lavelle, welcome. Um, how are you today? I'm okay. It's been a very interesting, uh, I would say interesting 72 to uh, 96 hours from Friday when the first uh, report came out in the Wall Street Journal about all this until how it exploded yesterday, leading to Gruden resigning. Give me the the upshot of what's in your column. It's probably a good place to start talking and probably a good place for people to know where you're coming up, coming from and maybe want to read more of what you wrote if they haven't seen it yet. Okay, I won't start at the top, so uh, I'm going to bury the lead, but, uh, you know, just for background, you know, I'm not I'm not a big council culture person. I believe people can take missteps and still um, uh, redeem themselves and not have to always lose their job or get fired. Um, and when the first report of Gruden's comments about Marie Smith came out on Friday, uh, I was disturbed. But that was like the first time I've ever heard anything connected to Gruden that was so in- insensitive. So I was willing to kind of just. um take it with a grain of salt and as a kind of a one-off saying that was just one moment 10 years ago that in which he made a misstep and he's probably moved on from that. But then Monday comes and there's a, there's the wall street journal. Oh no, there's New York times report that comes out right. and he has taken shots at everyone, almost every race, gender, creed out there. He is, he has had, he has taken a shot at, and it's appalling and sad that someone can get a job at the NFL with those type of views um, I thought it was troubling that he has a confidant in Bruce Allen, the Washington executive. So how many of these conversations are going on behind the scenes in the league, you know, while the league is trying to promote itself as this pro- progressive forward thinking organization? Uh, so uh, there's a problem here and it's not going to be changed until more women and more minorities get, a, get into the power structure in the NFL so they can influence policy. And slowly but surely eradicate, I call it Neanderthal thinking um, that permeates part of the NFL. Gruden's a part of it. Allen's a part of it. Um, who know who know what else, who know who knows what who else is part of it? Um, I demanded in my column that the uh, report on the Washington football team be made public um, so people can see what was put in there, see the extent of the toxic culture that they uh, had developed, and the, maybe get clarity in what other uh, of those 650,000 emails contain some offensive material. You know, let's get it all out in the open here. Let's be transparent so we can move forward. And I don't think the NFL wants to be transparent. I think, you know, I think everything you said is spot on. And I also think the NFL is kind of maybe, you know, Chris Carter got in trouble for this several years ago, but I think the NFL's kind of found itself a fall guy in all this. Uh, someone who's <laughs> Kind of taking the uh, kind of taking the blame for for anything and everything that that might be in all those emails. So Gruden, hundred percent deserves to lose his job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying right. there's probably a lot more else in there that they are afraid to to be released, uh, especially you know stuff that might impact ownership. This is an owners' league, not a not a coaches' league, not a players' league. So I'm I'm interested, like you said, to know what else there is we don't know as opposed to the limited scope of, you know, and the very troubling scope of what we do know about John Gruden. Yeah. You know, and as I, I did some, tried to do some research this morning of the 32 owners, 31 are white. Um, couldn't find too many, too many numbers on front office uh, hirings, but 
five minority coaches, you know, in the league this year. And, but still it's a league in which 70% of the players were black in 2020. So um, they got to find out ways to get people into the pipeline here. Uh, players who want to transition into either coaching or management positions once their careers are over women, you know, when we have women referees, we have women coaches, women announcers, women front office, um, continue those opportunities now because you're bringing perspective, you're bringing a different type, you're bringing the people who can help build your culture into what you want it to be. And we can't be afraid. And we know now that it doesn't matter if you're a male, female, or whatever color you are, you could be pretty effective in a job and help an organization before. So why limit yourself to the good old boy network when you can be diverse and be forward thinking and be progressive? Because the people in power don't easily give up power, but that's a, you're, you're, abso- you're absolutely right that they need to, that they need to kind of step aside and say, here's, here's the path to a, a better league, the league we want to project our image to be, not just the, not just pretend our image to be. And, you know, it's, it's, it's when, when things like this happen, you do realize a lot of what's happening behind the scenes and a lot of what, you know, what really goes on with, uh, with, with these leagues. Now, uh, maybe a, a final thought for you on, on this. Do you, do you subscribe to the, uh, maybe conspiracy theory is wrong, but that, you know, Gruden's owed a lot of money, hasn't been very successful. Um, is this a way to get rid of John Gruden, justifiably, but a way to get rid of John Gruden that, uh, that the uh, Raiders' ownership might not hate? Well, I, I can see that. I, I just think that the team's still 3-2. and two. I know they lost to Chicago at home over the weekend. Embarrassing, Lavelle, embarrassing. And I know, but uh, there's, still a, there's still a team that can make the playoffs and make some noise. Derek Carr was having a tremendous season until Sunday. Um, they got some things going there. They got Darren Waller. They got uh, Josh Jacobs. They can win. Now, do they think they need a different voice? And that's the other thing, too, about this. Uh, after the Monday report, you know, Gruden had to go and face his team and explain himself to his team. So now you got a bunch of players who probably support DeMarie Smith, already ticked off at him that he'd take a shot at him. And they also have uh, Mr. Nassib, who's a who's a minimally open gay player in that clubhouse as well, um, having to learning about what uh, Gruden has said in some of these emails as well. So um, I swapped text with uh, a former NFL player today. And he said, definitely the clubhouse is going to be, a, the locker room is going to be a wreck. There was no way, you know, he was going to be able to, to hold the clubhouse together uh, after writing what he said. So maybe it was going to have to happen and maybe a different voice will help. You know, here's the thing. The scary thing is the players can now rally around themselves after this. Uh, they could come out a more dangerous team, uh, dealing with a little bit of adversity uh, uh, with the ouster of Gruden. Yeah, well, it's an interesting story. I'll be interested to track if we ever get to see any more of those six, 650,000 emails that the league desperately must not want us to see because there could be a lot in them. Maybe interested to see if the Players Association, which has called for their release, if they push harder on that and if that becomes a point of contention. Um Lavelle, thanks for jumping on with me. Good, uh, good stuff. Read his column, StarTribune.com, and we'll do this again soon, all right? Thanks a lot. Love that discussion with Lavelle. Thanks to him for hopping on. You should go read his column. Like I said, StarTribune, StarTribune.com. And, you know, really, I think the most inter- interesting thing is, will we see more of these emails? There's, there's got to be a lot more there in the 650,000 emails than just you know, John Gruden and, uh, you know, everything that he said to, to have to resign from the NFL. I'd be, I'm sure the NFL does not want that. I'm sure they're going to 
fight everything they can. The NFLPA is petitioning to get those released. So another fight the NFL doesn't want and uh, one that could uh, that could be quite revealing in the end. I'd like to welcome back to Daily Delivery, Marcus Fuller covers Gophers men's basketball at the Star Tribune. Traveled to Big Ten Media Day. That was late last week. Um, ben Johnson was there, the new head coach of the Gophers men's basketball team. Uh, Lindsey Whalen was there, cover uh, coach of the Gophers women's, of course. Um, some players were there as well. Marcus, we haven't talked for a little while just because this is kind of a, you know, a little bit of a not much happens, I guess, in that period of time in, in, in college basketball. The team's getting better. They're practicing, things like that. But we, we didn't we probably didn't learn a whole lot. But now we're, we're less than a month away from the start of the season. The first regular season game, I believe you told me, starts uh, November 9th. What uh, as you think back on media day, what what stood out to you from what you were hearing from from Ben Johnson in particular, the new head coach? Well, I'll start off, you know, I'm always grateful to be on your talking hoops, even though it's still football season, the thick of football season. Uh, but you're right. You know, the season opener is less than a month away. And um, but first off, you know, or second off, uh, you know, if you talk about uh, media day, uh, I want to just point out that it was the first time where the men and the women uh, had the media day together, the Big Ten media day. And, um, you know, it was a big deal, obviously for the women's players and coaches, because to put themselves on that platform, you know, they had uh, an outstanding season as a conference uh, last year. Obviously the Gophers didn't make the NCAA tournament, but they had seven, um, I'm sorry, four uh, sweet 16 teams, um, you know, and they, and they had uh, seven NCAA tournament teams and, and they, you know, this, they've returned quite a few of their players. I think seven all Americans on the women's side. So, uh, you talked about Ben Johnson at first, but I wanted to lead off with the women in saying that this is going to be a really tough Big Ten uh, on the women's side. But I think uh, Lindsay returning quite a few of her players, and she's excited about this season um, and was excited about being at Media Day as well. Uh, Diva Hubbard uh, was a senior. She's a, a fifth-year senior uh, that was with her at Media Day, and, and they were both, you know, like I said, excited to be there as well as all the players and coaches um, to put themselves on that platform and, you know, well done for Kevin Warren, commissioner Warren and the big 10 for, for allowing them to do that. Um, on Ben Johnson, you know, he, he was, um, kind of like Lindsay and, and, and diva, uh, it was his first time at media day, uh, you know, kind of blown away by the atmosphere, but at the same time, um, you know, Ben is cool and calm and collected. Like he always is <laughs> talking about his team. Uh, they're picked 14th in the, uh, preseason media poll, which is obviously dead last, not somewhere you want to be, but as a first year coach, there's uh, nowhere to go, but up. Uh, so I, I think uh, expectations, um, sometimes you don't want them to be too high uh, at first, you know, the team right now is putting a, a, a chip on their shoulder uh, mode. Um, ben Johnson talked about um, the culture that he wants to establish uh, with the Gophers, you know, he wants fans to see a team that's going to develop, uh, be better at, at the end of the season than they were in the beginning. Um, he wants them to uh, have a family type of atmosphere. You know, this is a team with two, 10 newcomers. Um, so, and really only one player on their team, Eric Curry, um, has played Big Ten basketball um, last year. So, um, you know, the, the family atmosphere, it sounds funny to say that when none of them, 
really know each other, uh, you know, beyond this year. But they've really bonded uh, in the off season. This was a more normal off season than last year with the pandemic. They weren't allowed to be together much. You know, they quarantined quite a bit, and then also, you know, they they were only able to be together in like small groups just because of COVID. So this was a team that bond quite a bit for being new. And um, the family, you know, atmosphere certainly seems like that when they're around each other. Uh, they haven't played together, most of them, but they do um, uh, have a lot of chemistry. And then the last piece, um, you know, he wants them to be tough. Uh, this is a team that's void of, of a lot of, uh, I want to say talent, but just, um, you know, experience in the front court um, outside of Eric Curry. So the toughness part is just going to have to come from uh, uh, the perimeter on down, you know, like the, the guards are going to have to be tough, um, you know, and, and they're going to have to not only be physically, but mentally tough, because as you know, um, the, the big 10 on the men's side is always strong every year. And uh, no one's going to take it easy on Ben Johnson's team just because they said good things about him in media day. Um, with certainly everyone I talked to at media day, um, we're very high on Ben Johnson and, you know, they understand why Minnesota hired him because he's a Minnesota guy with about an, as much knowledge uh, about the Gophers as a former player and an assistant as anyone would have that they could have hired. You know, the ranked 14th out of 14th in the preseason poll that unfortunately kind of matches my expectations. I don't, I mean, you look at the, you look at the You're roster. Not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you look at the roster and it's no offense yeah. to these guys, but a lot of the, a lot of the newcomers they brought in are not coming from high major programs. They're coming from mid majors or even, you know, the low major D one level. That's not to say they can't succeed at this level. It's just to say that they've got a lot to prove, I think, especially kind of gelling as a, as a unit without, you know, the benefit of having years to, to play together. That said, if they are going to be surprising in, in any way to, ex, you know, even to exceed modestly those expectations, what, who are, who are some of the players that you think could, could fuel some of that? Well, certainly no one would be surprised if they finished last. I actually did not pick them to finish last just because I think that they are going to surprise some people um, at some point. You know, I think this is a team, uh, that nobody knows about too well. And I think that's, it's easy to pick them last. Um, but they have seven seniors, um, four of them are on the perimeter and, uh, they were highly productive and, um, solid players at the mid-major level. Now, like you said, not having that high major experience, um, it doesn't necessarily translate. Um, but I think what does translate is, um, you know, the ability to, uh, adjust quickly to, uh, coaching, um, no, you know, they know obviously the fundamentals and all that kind of stuff. They don't have to be taught how to play. So I think that, you know, guys like EJ Stevens uh, is a transfer from Lafayette. Very athletic, probably the most athletic player on the team. Uh, Luke Lowy, he's a transfer from William & Mary. Uh, he's going to be asked to play some point guard, but he was also the, one of the best defenders, if not the best perimeter defender in his league. Uh, obviously a player that a lot of Gopher fans will know, Peyton Willis, who transferred away from Minnesota and then back to Minnesota. Um, and now he's going to be able to play with his best, one of his best friends, uh, Eric Curry. Peyton is going to be asked to play uh, a lot of point guard, probably the starting point guard, something that he's played in the past ever since high school. Um, but he's played small forward and, and shooting guard quite a bit in his career lately. Um, very calm, collected player, just like Ben is 
sort of a captain on the floor, very good shooter. But he, he told me at media day, uh, Peyton was there with Ben, ben Johnson, that um, he was going to try to attack the basket a lot more than he did earlier in um, his career. Last time he was here with the Gophers, um, he was primarily a, sp- a spot-up shooter. And he thinks, uh, you know, attacking the basket is going to open things up for his teammates to get them involved, you know, as a, as a point guard would, would have, have you do. And I think if you look at the best player on this team right now, I think a lot of people are pointing to Jameson Battle just because, um, you know, he's a younger guy that's got potential. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a junior, but, um, you know, all these guys are seniors, 22, 23 years old. Um, so he, he's got potential uh, as one of the best shooters in the Big Ten, uh, six foot seven, 225 pounds. So he's got a strong body that can, um, you know, last uh, uh, the physical and the grind in the Big Ten. And I, and I think, you know, uh, if you look at his talent um, coming out of high school, he wasn't a high major recruit. But I think a lot of uh, teams, uh, including the Gophers, might have slept on him. Uh, George Washington uh, picked him up, and uh, he quickly was productive there, was a starter early, and last year as a sophomore averaged 17 points a game. And um, he broke a lot of records, uh, three-point shooting for George Washington. Uh, so those are the guys that I think, you know, I, obviously I talked about their perimeter entirely. Um, they don't have much in the front court. Um, but if you talk to talk about those seniors guards that I mentioned, um, I, I also didn't mention Sean Sutherland. He's a New Hampshire transfer. He's at Irondale, former Irondale player. Didn't play last year. He had a, an injury, um, but he's back healthy. And he's a he's a wild card because he can really play three positions, maybe in four positions. Um, very athletic, six five, uh, strong body, but he's he's pretty athletic as well. Average nine rebounds a game. Uh, two years ago, uh, which for a guard is, is incredible. Had about 12 double doubles that year. So again, senior guards and Jamison battle uh, shooting the ball. I think that's going to be their strength. Um, obviously, if they can defend and shut down the perimeter of the other team and then shoot the ball, you know, they'll, they'll win some games, uh, especially in non-conference that people might not expect. Um, are they going to, you know, uh, probably win the big 10? Obviously not. Um, are they going to, you know, finish above 500, uh, that'll be, that'll be national coach of the year if that happens. But, sure. um, I think people are expecting them to just bottom out in the big 10 and maybe not, not win more than a few games. And I think they're certainly capable of that. Okay. Well, I, I I'm looking forward to, to seeing them prove expectations wrong. How about, how about that? They've, they've got, right, right. like you said, nowhere to go, but up, um, a couple more questions for you, more kind of leaning forward a little bit you know, i don't know how much ben johnson addressed this at media day but you know what in your estimation and i'll ask you about maybe some specific recruiting in a minute but in your estimation like what's what's the timetable here because you know like you said a lot of these guys are seniors they're not going to be here next year this is kind of a year to you know you had to scour the portal kind of put together a roster see how these guys fit establish your culture but in terms of like being truly competitive um, as a coach in the Big Ten and building up what you want to do, what what's the realistic timetable? Uh, I think every coach is different. Um, I think if you when you hired Tubby Smith, um, you expected him to win right away, even though they had a nine win season when he took over. Um, when you hired Richard Patino, I think people expected um, success maybe sooner than later, even though he was a thirty year old coach because he inherited a roster that was ready to compete right away. Um, this is the biggest rebuild maybe in program history 
Um, if you look around the Big Ten, not too many teams have had to replace as many players in one season. And even though he did uh, hit the transfer portal and was able to replace a lot of players, at least with uh, experience, like you said, uh, he's losing pretty much his entire roster again next year. Um, he's recruited very well so far with Minnesota talent, three recruits from Minnesota that I think will uh, be able to contribute right away. Uh, but to ask freshmen to come into the Big Ten, especially when you're not talking about uh, one and done uh, type of talent, uh, to, to expect them to come in and lead a team, uh, middle of the pack or even compete for uh, a championship, it's going to take time. So I think uh, we'll have to see in a year what kind of transfers he can add to the team. Because, you know, while I really like the transfers that he brought in this year, very high-level mid, mid-major players, if he's able to, to, to tap into the, the high-major market for transfers and bring in maybe some former Minnesotans that were highly productive at high-major level, that right away will help you compete um, in the Big Ten um, when you bring in some really talented freshmen. I mean, we've seen that in the past, right, with Richard Pitino. I mean, he, he didn't make the NCAA tournament until his fourth year when uh, they brought in Reggie Lynch, uh, was Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, first year with the program. Akeem Springs uh, was a starter, part-time starter, was a very good player. And then he brought in, you know, recruit like Amir Coffey. But then he also had returning players like uh, Jordan Murphy and Nate Mason. So I think it's going to have to be uh, a, a mix of, you know, high-level recruits bringing in that can produce right away. You know, again, transfers that are immediate impact. I mean, some of the best players in the Big Ten. And then also having a guy like Jamison Battle. Um, you know, Parker Fox is a guy that is hurt right now, but he's very athletic uh, forward that could actually play at the end of this year if, if, he, if he wants to. Maybe he's healthy enough. But, next, you know, the following year is when he's going to be expected to make a huge impact. So you're talking about two guys that are returning. And then, you know, like I said, bringing in recruits and transfers. And, you know, year two. They might be able to be in that middle of the pack range, depending on, you know, what the roster looks like. But I don't think anybody expects a tournament team in even year two. I think year three would probably be the year where you would see them, you know, on the cusp of making the tournament, being competitive in the Big Ten, um, middle of the pack, you know, got to beat Wisconsin and Iowa every now and then <laughs> and not, not get blown out at home versus Michigan State or the big boys like Michigan and Ohio State. So I think year three is when you'll see um, this team uh, have to, not have to, but I think Ben Johnson's expectations and Gopher fans will be like, hey, are we a tournament team or not? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you, you make a good point, kind of refreshing my, not memory, but refreshing kind of how I look at college basketball. Like it's, it's not so much about the, the high school recruiting anymore. That, that will, you know, I think Ben Johnson wants to make that the the focal point and the, the in-state recruiting keeping minnesota kids here getting those that high that high level talent to stay here but a good an inch, and maybe an even more important part or an equally important part now is being able to work that portal and get guys in who maybe even have a couple years left even three years left and you know they've shown something at a at a level that maybe you didn't expect and now they want to come back home so it's the the, the dynamic of how you build a team is a lot different now um Last thing, specifics about in-state recruiting or just, you know, high school recruiting in general, anything to report there since we last talked? Well, you know, if you look at uh, the recruiting um, that Ben Johnson's done so far, obviously he's got three recruits locally. We know about those. Ferrell Payne, uh, Park Cottage Grove, Braden Carrington from Park Center, 
and then um you know actually i don't i don't think that we talked about it the last time um i was on uh this podcast but um you know josh ola joseph is the last recruit from minnesota uh, that committed he was at osseo but now he's at prolific prep in california playing uh, in napa california and that wasn't actually part of the gophers plan um you know he did that on his own you know, I think he wanted to make sure that when he comes in as a freshman, that he's ready to make a huge impact right away. And I think playing the competition that he is in prolific prep, I mean, they go across the country, play teams. Um, J- Jalen Green was, I believe, the number two pick in the draft, played for prolific prep before he went to the G League. So that's the type of competition that you'll see Josh Ola Joseph play. He'll even be on ESPN in some games where you're not going to be able to see him locally, but you'll see him on national television. Um, they did have a recruit. Uh, or a prospect visit a couple weeks ago, a seven foot one center from Oak Hill Academy, which again is another one of the top prep schools in the country. And uh, he enjoyed his visit. I talked to him. Uh, I, I believe uh, right now his favorites are South Carolina and Minnesota. And, uh, you know, it's a strange recruiting uh, tactic with him that they actually sold him on possibly redshirting his first year um, because they'll have Pharrell Payne. Uh, and Trayton Thompson is a freshman right now. There's no pressure on him to come in and have to star right away. And, you know, he's had some injury issues in the past. He's getting through those. He also needs a little bit of development. And, you know, a year uh, redshirting or maybe not having a huge role uh, will allow him to, to get into Division One basketball, college basketball, and, 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 and maybe have a huge impact in year two. So right now, um, you know, he's, he's the guy that uh, Christian Reeves, obviously I don't say his name, Christian sure. Reeves from Oak Hill is a seven footer that, that visited a couple of weeks ago. And I think that might be it as far as them adding to the uh, high school class. Um, they're looking at some other guys, but their early signing period is a little, lot different than it used to be. Like you said, high school recruiting, um, maybe not as, uh, you know, important early. Um, and then transfer portal is going to be huge in the spring. So you want to have some scholarships available. And, um, you know, most of the time, if you get four guys, right, signed, uh, that's your whole class. But since Ben will be losing seven or eight guys, uh, you know, because of the seniors, they'll have, um, you know, four more scholarships or more to use in the spring. Good stuff, Marcus. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, any anytime something's new, you're curious about it. And I'm, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I want to see what kind of coach Ben Johnson is. And if, you know, you could see, you could see some good things in year one, even if the, the wins aren't piling up, you could kind of see how, what his coaching philosophy is. You could kind of see how, when he gets all the players he wants, how this thing might look, you know, like you said, two or three years down the road. So that's kind of what I'm watching for this year. And we'll do this way more often here now in the next coming months, because like I said, just a few weeks away from the start of the season, Marcus, appreciate it. Good luck. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks. Patience will be the key word with the Gophers men's basketball team this season. Nobody should expect a miracle turnaround. But, you know, sometimes seasons like this can be fun because there are small joys along the way. Let's finish quick with the cooler. Seattle Kraken opened their entire existence on Wednesday. Lost 4-3 to Vegas. Love the Kraken uniforms. I think the name is kind of cool. Wild opener Friday, by the way. Um, Sarah McClellan should be on Friday's show to help us preview that. So look forward to that. Looking forward to that season. Good show coming up Thursday as well. Jason Gerwin from The Streamable, who was on several months ago, will help us, well, help us with an update on where we are with streaming, 
with you know your ability to watch games on Bally Sports North, things like that. If you have streaming channels, and uh, so Jason, good good guest, and uh, he'll he'll be back on. And I'll also talk quite a bit about sports gambling. I had a big story in Sunday's paper. Got some kind of follow up to that that I want to share with you on Thursday's show. So. Good stuff coming up the rest of the week. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Rand. We'll get you again on Thursday.